behind the whistle. Really, really started from being a five-year-old who loved playing football. And at 15, I had to make the tough decision of, you know, this is what I want to do. I know what I want and, you know, I'll, I'll do everything in my power to try and get to it. Welcome to episode number 10 of Behind the Whistle, the podcast series where we talk to sports officials about their personal officiating journey. We will gain insights into why these officials do what they do, and it will be a great way of understanding how they balance their passion for officiating with their personal and professional lives. Our guest for this episode is Dan Cook. Dan is an assistant referee in the English Premier League. During his previous season, Dan officiated two of the biggest games of the year within English football, so I'm really looking forward to hearing about his journey as well as what it takes to reach that level of officiating. I started out by asking Dan where he's located. Portsmouth, so the very, very south of uh, England, right in the middle, um, just north of a, a little island called the Isle of Wight. Um, so, yeah, um, most of my travelling is uh, all over the country, but I'm closer to France in some cases. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, I guess for our, our guests, what, what sport do you officiate? Um, so I'm a professional football referee, um, which I operate in the Premier League uh, and also in uh, FIFA as well. So around the world in UEFA and uh, FIFA terms as well. I guess for people outside of the uh, outside of the UK, it's commonly referred to as, as soccer. So it's you know, of course, yeah. <laughs> different countries have their different uh, sports that they call football. Um, no, tell me a bit about your journey. How how did you get into officiating to start with? Oh, how long have we got? Uh, yeah. as long of, as you can take. Story. <laughs> um, I think, you know, it really, really started from being a five-year-old who just loved playing football. You know, I was always um, out down the park with your friends, kicking a ball about. That's all I ever wanted to do, kick a ball around. And I was probably one of those typical uh, young boys who, you know, all I ever wanted to do was be a footballer, a uh, personal footballer, playing in the Premier League, you know, etc. So kind of all started really from there and, I got into a local team um, uh, and when I got to the age of about 13, um, some of the younger teams then, so I was 13, they were seven, eight, nine-year-olds. Um, we, we got quite friendly with the managers and um, they were just asked after a, a referee and I was like, well, yeah, of course, I'll I'll give it a go. Um, obviously, football was a massive interest to me. So, yeah, I thought I'd give it a go. And yeah, for weeks and weeks, um, helped them out. Um, little side cash as well, which was always nice, a little bonus. Um, especially, especially when you're 13, it's always uh, a, exactly. an extra bonus. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I felt like a millionaire in some cases uh, after the first year or two. So, yeah, it was great. Um, but no, I just, I just helping them out and really enjoyed it and then started looking more into it. I think I wouldn't mind giving this a proper go and, and getting actually um, doing my course and, and taking it more serious. So, um, so yeah, when I was 14, um, <laughs> funny enough, my mum... Um, she came on the course with us as well. So we both did our course and it was a, a 10 week course once a week. Um, and, uh, we both qualified. Um, uh, and back then you then had to kind of go on and do a game to actually be officially qualified. My mum never made that step, but she just wanted to be on a journey with us. And, and then from then on, um, you know, she was my transport. Um, uh, my mum and dad used to take me everywhere. Um, take me to all my games, be my rock my umbrella when I needed when it was uh, raining um, and, and it was great so from you know 14 to 16 I was just refereeing adults football uh, sorry kids football 
um, and, and building up in the age group. So as I said, I started from the under sevens and under eights and building all the way up to your under 14s, 15s, etc. Um, and then I think I got to about 15 or 16 and strangely I, I got like football players do scouted um, but I got scouted as a referee to come and referee our local team which was Portsmouth um, so I, I got involved in refereeing um, the youth games of theirs um, and I, someone kind of a coach from there but uh, he was also a referee as well um, he he kind of took me under his wing and was coaching me and he just said to us you know do you still play football and I said yeah I'm, you know, I'm doing it weekly as well and he said to be honest with you, you know, you've got something a bit about you. Um, you could take this far, he said, but any injuries, you know, it's just not worth the risk, he said. So my advice would be quit football. So, you know, at 15, I'm thinking all I've ever wanted to be is a footballer. Um, <laughs> and at 15, I had to make the tough decision of, you know, this is what I want to do and um, stop playing football. So, um, so yeah, as hard as that was, that's what I did. But this was, you know, the progression I wanted to make. So I think um, once you get to 16, you were then able to do adults football uh, and then start working up the ladder. Um, so at that point, I was a, what was known as a level seven. Um, and yeah, the park football is, uh, is a bit frightening for a 16 year old. You know, you've got your local <laughs> local pub teams. Uh, they've all been out on the drink the night before. Come 10.30 in the morning, you know, they probably only just rolled into bed um, not long. So yeah, to um, to do them games, you know, quite scary times. But I got quite a lot of respect quite quickly, um, which was nice and also helped me. So it wasn't just, oh, who's this kid refereeing us or we've not seen him before. They kind of got some respect for us. And the big thing was, is I was, I guess I was getting the big things right and getting the respect off them. So then by the end of the game, you know, it was just I've done a good job. So, um, but yeah, you were, we got through. You were still at school at all this time, obviously. You stood on schoolwork as well as... Progressing. Yeah, yes, I was at college at this point. Um, so yeah, that was fun. I was um, I was then playing then, so I kind of went back into playing a little bit. Um, <laughs> I, I just just missed it too much. But um, but yes, I was doing college, I finished school, um, and then uh, yeah. So from at that point, we went from getting promoted that season, my first year in the adults. Um, so that took me down to a level six, and then I did a further year that would have taken me down to a five but at that point um they they needed a lot of level four so they kind of did this double jump where if you did a fitness test and passed it you kind of double jumped so i went from a six to a four in that one year um so then you start getting into like the semi-professional football um so you're now traveling a bit further afield you've got assistant referees on your behalf as well you you haven't just got um as I said, the drunk lads who've just rolled out of bed and can't kick a ball um, and couldn't care less of being on your line. You've got people who, you know, have, um, you know, some of the old guys that want to help you and coach you and move you on. Or you've got some of the guys that aspirations to go further afield. So you then start feeling that more professional pathway and, and, and it was great. So, so yes, yeah, so I went from um, a few more years on there. You know, I started going up um, in the refereeing career and I got to a, a point in my stage where um, – we, we had to decide which pathway we wanted to take. And I never thought I was a very good assistant referee. It's, it's a really strange thing for me to say, but I, I, I always thought if I was going to make it, it would have been as a referee. That's all I wanted to do. Um, we had to run uh, run the line on games um, anyway, as that was just our step up the, um, the ladder. Um, but I, I just somehow managed to progress a little bit higher, a little bit quicker, in that route and as i said we got to a stage where we, we had to make a decision 
Um, and it wasn't a difficult decision because that same year um, I was at the Premier League um, at the time, um, but they just introduced um, professional contracts for the assistant referees for the first time. And it was kind of a, we think we've got too many lads and I was just promoted onto the list. So they kind of went last one in, first one out kind of yeah. thing. So I got, I got demoted from there. Um, but my boss said to us, you know, if, just keep your nose clean, do what you've been doing year in, year out. Um, and hopefully we'll see you in 12 months. And, and, that, and that was the case. Um, but I had to choose uh, assistant refereeing at that point um, because otherwise if I chose refereeing, the, the assistant would have gone out the window yeah. and I better try to progress through the referee. But um, it's a big decision to make. It's certainly a, a young age um, to decide that, no, I'm not going to progress as a referee. Um, and we're going to go with the assistant. But I just thought that was the route for me. Um, I was at the top of my game. I was, the next step was kind of getting on to FIFA. Um, and I thought I'd stood a better chance that way rather than going through the referee route. So, yeah. How, long, how did you... Long old start. A lot long old journey. So how did you deal with the, you know, obviously the disappointment of not wanting to, not being able to follow your refereeing initial passion and, you know, as you say, the call it the demotion for the 12 months to um, to get the weight again after the opportunity. How did you, you know, I guess, deal with that from a... <laughs> I, think, I think most people probably go through a journey where there's so many ups and so many lows and that wasn't the only demotion in my career. Um, there was missed opportunities where... They were creating, um, say, one league was then split into two. And instead of being promoted in that league, um, I kind of got kept the same. And that kind of happened a couple of times. So, you know, there's been plenty of disappointment along the way. Um, but I guess one big thing for me is I'm very, very determined. I know what I want and, you know, I'll, I'll do everything in my power to try and get to it. Um, and, yeah, I, I think the, the decision in choosing assistant refereeing rather than the refereeing side of things. The, the disappointment of that was, you know, I had big dreams of, you know, going places, wanting to do the FA Cup final, wanting to be on the Premier League, you know, hopefully one day do European Championships, World Cups, who knows. Um, at the point of having to make a decision, I just had to think, do I think I've got the best opportunity of doing it as an assistant referee or as a referee? And as I said, at that point, I just felt I'm, I'm so close to it now. Um, and we'll go more on to it a little bit later. But to achieve like the FA Cup already, you know, that was a dream of mine as a boy. Um, and to achieve it as a assistant referee or or as a referee who had that opportunity would have just been a dream. But to have already done it now is yeah, it's amazing. So you know, through that early part of your career, you're obviously out of college or out of university, or um, and then work. Were you working part time through it as you're developing through your officiating career? How did you balance that? Yeah, uh, that lifestyle, I guess. Uh, difficult. It is, it is so, so difficult, I have to admit. And when I look back, I do wonder how, how I've done all of that. So, so interestingly, I went, um, I was always sport mad. You know, everything was all about sport. And um, I wanted to be something along the lines of a physiotherapist or um, a PE teacher, something along those lines. So when I went to college, I was probably like most kids at 16, you don't really know exactly what you want to do, but you kind of get pushed into something. So I went into college for two years and did sports science um, and, and took everything away from that, passed all of that. Um, and then I took a very different di direction where I went into, uh, I did an apprenticeship um, with a, a shipbuilding firm uh, and did welding. 
Oh, something That's like, a little bit of a uh, you know, one extreme to the other. <laughs> correct. It was. and um, But how I saw it was um, it was just a plan to kind of – I knew that it was it was going to take some time to get to the top. Um, and I thought by getting a career, a steady, solid career, doing an apprenticeship, staying with that, moving on, progressing, whatever it may be, that's going to fill in a, a long career. And it's always going to be great to have a trade behind me. Um, so I thought – Let's do an apprenticeship. I, I, I gave it a go. Uh, my stepbrother worked there, so he kind of got us in. I, I gave everything a go and fancy welding, and that was that. And so, yeah, so I went from, um, I think I was with them for 10 years. So I did my apprenticeship, went then on to um, the ships uh, just on the shop floor and was working there. Um, and then whilst I was in my, my training, I was then kind of training some younger apprentices. And... Um, my well, one of my managers took a liking to me and thought you know you, you're pretty good at training and teaching so I actually fell into a trainer's role quite quickly so after being there for five years and doing my apprenticeship I then fell into a, a trainer's job and I was actually then training the the next generation of uh, welders so I did that for five years um, and like I said how how I had that as a career and then football I mean I was having I was having to take my suit, my kit to work. I was having to have a shower at two o'clock in the afternoon. I was going to have to jump in the car and drive somewhere. And before you know it, you're refereeing a game. And then you're getting home at one, two o'clock in the morning and back up at quarter six in the morning. It's just crazy. And then you have a family and then you have, oh, it's just, I do not know how we do it. But yeah, as we all know, when you have a passion for, you know, your passion for your work and your passion for your officiating, you'll find a way to make things work. And you look back yeah, and you yeah. go, Hey, how did I do that? How did I get through that? So. Yeah, hundred percent. You do. You just always find a way. And so, were you, was your travelling for football? Were they always on weekend games, or were they week nights, days? Were they a bit of mixture? So what we didn't really do. Yeah, they, we didn't really do much in the way of daytime stuff. Yep. Um, some of the academies um, did do things at that time, but you kind of have. Um, we have a system where we were able to say at what point of the day we were available. Um, so generally say 95% of the time I was always out on a weekend um, generally a Saturday um, when you're lower down and then midweeks and again usually that's a Monday or Tuesday night so um, yeah trying to work that with my my work I was very lucky I had a good boss um, but trusted what I was saying that I needed to go because <laughs> I've got to go to football but trust me I'll be back and I'll make up the hours you know I had a really good boss um, and, I th- and you do need that I think when you are trying to progress and you are having to have a separate job because you need that to pay your bills. Um, you do need to have a good boss and people around you to get you through that. But also, you know, it becomes testament to your, I guess, your personality and the way that you work. The bosses will trust you to say, hey, look, you can leave early this day because I know and I trust that you'll get the work done that you need. So obviously, you now that reflects well on the character of, uh, you know, the people that do it, undertake officiating. Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, obviously um, you worked through your career. At what point did did you turn professional um, officiating? How does that sort of process work? Yeah, so we, um, so I mentioned earlier on about uh, about six years ago, um, the referees at the Premier League were already um, on contracts. And I think they had been for a good 10 years before that. Um, but then, yeah, the assistant referees were then given um, contracts uh, full-time contract so that meant you would leave your old job and, and make this solely your own job um, 
I was demoted on that based on their numbers, but thankfully got back on the year after. So I've been full time uh, for the last five years. Um, and I just, it's, it's a great decision to do because the work life balance is just so much better for what we've got now. As I said previously, it was football, trying to find time for uh, training. You've got your work at 10 hours a day. You've got your family to try and see. And you try and juggle all that in kind of one day, and it just really is so difficult. So for now, to be home quite a lot, um, it's kind of mixed. You're either home a lot or you're away a lot. That's kind of how it, how it is. Um, but so, yeah, to be at home, to be with the kids, be with um, the wife, to be able to do school runs most day, you know, it's what every dad wants to do kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've got the rest of the day to – knuckle down do my training be physically fit ready for um the game midweek weekend whatever it may be so yeah yeah i guess it would have been a, a nice I call it a relief to be able to get to that point to go i don't need to do a full-time job anymore i can concentrate on my you know officiating and turn that in you know develop that career so you know that would have been a a, a huge you know, i guess uh, an opportunity that um you know gladly take it with all hands i guess yeah definitely as, as i said it just to be able to focused then on just one job um you know we do analysts on the games that are coming up on the teams that we're going to be doing um to have that time to be able to do that whenever you want we can look back at games that we've just that we've just done um you know if we made mistakes look at them in detail why have we made these mistakes try and make sure we put them right next time the training you know it's not just being able to go for a run at seven o'clock at pitch black it's peeing down and rain you know you can do proper training you can go see people you can get your massage it's just make it it's kind of a, a one big bubble where you can just kind of look after yourself because you've got the time you've got the opportunity um and you've got all the people around you that can help you so um yeah it's it is it was a massive relief once once got that contract so uh, i guess you know for those of us obviously not <laughs> full-time what um i guess what sort of commitment is expected as part of that you know that role how many i guess hours outside of obviously the game time and, and match terms and we might get to that you know preparation work would you put in during the week or yeah, a daily basis? I mean, so there's nothing in black and white saying you must train x amount of hours each week you must do this much and hours it's nothing like that it's kind of each person does their own thing um some people will you know do analysis or watch videos you know make most days um i find that I mean, I've been on uh, the Premier League now for five years, and I, you do see the same teams um, quite often. You see the same players, so you kind of know how they operate. You kind of know what they do, but it's kind of just looking out to see if there's anything slightly different that they might do with set pieces or funny runs on offsides or something like that. So we'll always do when you know um, who you've got for the weekend. So we get our appointments either on a Monday or Tuesday for the weekend coming. So once you know who you've got, you then got the opportunity to, in that week, just sit down, have a look, have a look at the, um, the teams you're doing, try and focus on the potential players that are going to be a problem, especially from an offside point of view. Because um, that's the sort of things that I would do. And as I said, after the game, I'm, I'm able to look back at my game. Uh, we've got a system that um, we call an evaluation system, which basically um, logs every single decision we've made, uh, whether it's a throw-in, a goal kick, an offside, even a foul or even maybe not a foul, but there was an appeal or something like that. So we're able to look back at this and have a look at every single one of our decisions. And if there is an error, if there's something wrong, um, we're very lucky to have many different camera angles to be able to see that. But it's then 
it's important to know why you made that mistake and uh, the biggest thing is to make sure that it doesn't happen again kind of thing um i mean we're not robots so we are always going to make mistakes it's just trying to minimize those ones or you know this this cases where they are so impossible you're just unlucky and that's kind of ones you've got to take on the chin but so yeah that's kind of what i do around the analysis side of things and, and training side of things i'll do you know an hour to an hour and a half per day um and it will be it will differ from a pitch run so it'd be say a hi run or a speed session repeated sprint session um or it'd be in the gym where it's um on the weights lower uh body upper body some core stuff um so quite quite a mix kind of things um we've got uh, a coach that gives us all these training plans they they look at all of our data so they kind of give us regular updates to say you're doing too much you're not doing enough you need to work a bit harder in this area so we get all of that stuff so um yeah as i said we're, we're very lucky with the people around us that can give us the full support from kind of all different angles yeah it certainly sounds like a a full week and nearly more than a full-time yeah. job for us us in the you know full-time job so, so touching <laughs> back in your uh your i guess your debut in the premier league how did that eventuate and you know, i guess how was that from a personal perspective you know reaching that level of competition um it was to get there it was just it was a dream um i mean i never i never expected in some ways that i would ever make it to where i have to get to the top referee in the uh, in the premier league um it was always as i said it was always what i wanted to do it was always a goal um to actually achieve it you know there's i think there's 27 of us assistant referees at the top um, in England. And to be one of those 27 is fascinating. I mean, I think there's about 60,000 referees in England. So to dwindle it down to be 27, one of those 27 is is, is an impressive thing. Um, and it is something that means a lot to us, uh, means a lot to me, means a lot to get to the Prem. So, yeah, it's it's been a tough, it's been a tough old road. Um, I think in all in all, it took me about 17 years to get from, you know, day one from passing my course to, you know, getting that contract. So it was a long, old, long, old, old, but well worth it when you get there. And, and can you remember your debut match or is it you know, one of those things that yeah, the game went really fast? It was just a blur and you don't remember much or can you remember? aspects? Do you know, of it? Do you know what? my memory is rubbish, but I do know, <laughs> I do remember my um, first Premier League game. Um, it was Man City uh, versus Bournemouth. Um, the score was five-one to Man City. So, all was it at Man City? Was, it was at Man City. Yeah. So, from my uh, from my first game, it was certainly not one I was expecting to go to. Um, but yeah, it was a um, brilliant game. Uh, the referee was Mike Dean, which I couldn't have had a better referee to start my career with. To have him as my first referee was yeah, brilliant. So, during, I guess during the season and during your career, do you work with the same referee or do you have a different referee allocated each week? Yeah, so um, something we we do, we try and, uh, they call it triangles. So at the start of the season, they do put us in triangles where there'll be three referees and about five assistant referees. Um, and what tends to happen is the guys that, who are FIFA um, recognised, they tend to work together more regularly than everyone else. So... Um, my referee that I would regularly work with would be Chris Kavanagh. And um, uh, we we had uh, Sean Massielis 
was our other assistant. Um, unfortunately, she's been injured this whole season, so she's not been able to work with us. Um, but because we work in triangles, we then would uh, dip in with other referees and some other assistants. Um, but also, they're kind of not uh, concrete. They are. We can move around with different referees, different assistants. Obviously, things change. We've had a difficult couple of years with COVID, um, so a lot of things have changed with that, with referees dipping out um, last minute. Um, so yeah, it's been a funny old couple of years where we have had to dip in and out. But you, my, my main referee I'd work with would be Chris Cavanaugh on a weekly basis. And uh, with working with with Chris, would you, you know, is there combinations you work on? You know, is there does he provide obviously mentoring type advice? You know, has the dynamics work with between the the, the triangle that you've got? Um, I think we just. Uh, no, there isn't really, but they're just <laughs> between us. We're just we're really good friends. Yeah. Um, so you know we see each other's families. Um, so we we've just got a very good um, good friendship, good partnership yeah. between us. And um, yeah, so we just bounce off each other. We just we just know how each other works. We know what each other wants in the game. Um, I mean, a big thing is trust. Um, and I think any team, you know, gaining a big respect and big trust in a team is, is what you need. Um, and for us, you know, there's a big trust um, from us. Um, so, yeah, we kind of kind of do our own thing, but knowing that we both know what each other wants. So. Uh, and obviously that, you know, that goes a long way, building the development and the trust with the team so that he he knows and trusts that you're looking in wherever the area that you need to look in so he doesn't need to look into it. Correct. And obviously, yeah, you know, that works well. And uh, how do you work with the VAR? Do you get a different VAR each week or is that all sort of in the triangle as well? Um, yeah, that does get mixed up as well. Um, so the, the VARs are um, active referees as well. We do have one who um, retired last year but stayed on as just a VAR only. But generally everyone is um, an active referee. So sometimes, um, you know, I'll be working with those guys on the Saturday and they could be in VAR on the Sunday. And then the assistant VARs are all active assistant referees. So as well as doing a game on the on the pitch, there is times that we will then go into um, to the hub and act as a, an assistant VAR. So um, it's not something that we do that often because there's so many of us. Um, so the referees do get used quite a lot because they're a smaller group and so many games over a weekend. Um, but it does give you a different perspective. You know, sometimes you can be there and, and it could be, it could feel like you're just sat in your front room watching a game of football because everything's going swimmingly and you're not needed. Um, and, and sometimes there's just, you know, check after check after check. And as, as the VAR is doing those checks, the assistant VAR is there for the, um, watching the live. So if the game's still continuing, we're having to, um, watch. Uh, what's happening and potentially there could be a goal or there could be another penalty check or something like that. So not only is the VAR checking something else, we're then having to go, hey, you, by the way, here's another check because you're going to have to look at this. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a good role. It's a very different role, um, but it's, it is a, it's an interesting role. And do you find that things that you do in VAR help you on the field and things you do on the field help you in VAR? Or is that, do you find that there's any sort of crossover there? Do you know, I think the one thing that I... I really get from it is listening to the communications of all the other assistants and referees on the list. Because as I said, if you work with the same people kind of week in, week out, okay, you know what um, you do, you say, et cetera, but to hear what everyone else says, and, and sometimes you pick up on little bits, you go, actually, you know, that sounds quite good. I like that. Um, 
and and there's other and another good thing is because we can hear the communication and obviously we see what's happening we generally have regular phone calls after a game to say oh did you see the off cycle in this minute how did it look and i can give instant feedback or we can talk about comms or if there's a decision then i can say you know your input was great or perhaps you could have been a bit quicker or something like that and it's i think that is a real good bonus of being in the system VAR and just seeing what everyone else does as well so it's good and then being up uh, as you say take what what works or what you like out of those and incorporate it in, into your game. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. And and obviously, you know, at the moment, well, we're in, you're in off-season now. Everything's all finished up. How does, how does the next, I guess, couple of months look for you from obviously no games? Uh, well, a little I bit easier? A or? couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was a couple of months. No, I've, um, I've literally just... Uh, so uh, we've got a two-week window at the moment, which is uh, European games are taking place. So the Nation League are happening. So I've just got back from um, Croatia from doing... Croatia and Austria from the weekend um, so that was my final game so that's my season now done and dusted um, but we've got I think it's about two and a half weeks and then we've got our pre-season meeting um, in, in London so we've got I think it's two days up there two full days where it would be training and meetings etc um, and then we have our annual conference um, which is the first time being back on since all the COVID etc uh, which it brings um, all the professional uh, referees and assistants. So I think there's about 500 people from around the country that um, all get to meet and all get to celebrate the the previous season and, and people who have been promoted and you know all of that sort of thing. So um, so yeah, we've got one busy week coming up at the end of June, um, and then we've got fitness test middle of July, um, and then before we know it, it'll be back in the friendlies and, and and European qualifiers starting, and then the season starts again on 6th of August. I think it was so. Yeah, no, not a big break at the moment. How, how do you find that from, a, I guess, you know, you talk to all the, the professional sportsmen and some of them complain about seasons being too long and, you know, not having much of a break. How do you find that personally going, you know, nearly essentially 12 months of the year? Yeah, I think, um, I don't think it's usually like this. I think it's just, yep. you know, we're all, we're all taking a hit from COVID. Um, you know, it's been about two and a half years now where we've really not really had a, a good break. Yep. Um, you know, the, the, the first year football completely stopped in the March. Um, and w- although we had those three months off there where it was all the unknown and we didn't know what was happening or whether it restart or whatever, when we did get restarted in the June, I think we spent eight weeks doing about 12 or 13 games. Um, so it was just chaotic for those eight weeks. Um, and then I think we only had about four weeks off before we then restarted for the ne- next season. So it was then busy. Um, and then we got through that season. And again, we had a shorter window last year because we then had the the European Championships, which was meant to be the year before, was moved forward to that year. So you then didn't really get much of a break then. And then before you get to know it again, the season started. And then this season's just felt grueling. I think it's just, uh, you know, it's taken its toll on everyone. Everyone's got little niggles here and there. Um, and then you kind of get to the end of the season and think, oh, great, we've got a break. But actually, we haven't got much of a break. So <laughs> so we got a bit of a break, obviously, in November and December with the World Cup taking place. So I'm not going to that. So it'd be nice to have a six-week, say, break. It won't be much of a break. You'll have a couple of weeks yeah. and then back training and we go again. But, yeah, it'd be nice to have, you know, halfway through the season, a couple of weeks off and, um, yeah, get some uh, get some energy back to carry on. 
and you know we, we well we say the word break but you know as as officials we're not expected to actually stop doing anything because as we know you stop doing something and you lose it and then obviously all the work that you've put in you know over the years you know tends to go away so yeah. um you've t- you've spoken briefly about um the game that you had on the weekend so obviously fifa level official how long have you been at the on the fifa panel yeah so i got onto fifa in uh, 2019 so it's only been uh, my third year now um and you know that's that was a dream that was you know as a little boy starting at my refereeing you know you always dream big you always want to be the highest you can ever go and and, and go and get your fifa badges you know the very very top so to get that um three years ago um and to experience what i have done in these three years is it's been amazing so what was i guess what was your first fifa level game so what tends to happen is you do um i guess trial games so they're games that you're not fifa but you will do games in europe to kind of test the waters and experience what it is so my first game happened um i only know this because i was looking the other day uh, for some <laughs> bizarre reason so i look um it was about 12 months before that and i did uh greece under 21s against who did they play that's poor. I can't remember now. But they play, it was an under-21 game in Greece, um, November time. And all I remember, it was gorgeous and sunny. Where <laughs> In England, it was rubbish weather. Um, and it, as I said, it's just an experience. You get, you know, well looked after. Um, the people there look after you. They take you to, you know, some of their best restaurants. You get to um, taste their food, meet different people. You know, the cultures out there you're going to meet is just um, brilliant. So, yeah, I think I've done just over 25 trips abroad now um, to various places some places that I would never go on holiday um, but some places that you know it's nice to tick them off and experience their culture and it's um, yeah it's been amazing it's uh, it's been you know one of the biggest highlights of my, of my career is to get that FIFA badge and you know every game you get is, is, is as important as the first and will be as, as it would be the last um, and you know every game I kind of get at the moment are you know, getting bigger games. So it's, I'm still early in my career on the FIFA side of things. And, you know, I, I mentioned earlier on, you know, I dream big. I want to go to Euros. I want to go to World Cups. That's certainly what I would love to do. So, you know, the games are getting bigger and hopefully we're, we're going the right direction. Excellent. And obviously you've just recently had a pretty big big game back in a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Yes. Which, uh, so what was that one? <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, was, I was very, very lucky and it was very unexpected to um, to do the FA Cup final. Um, again, as a as a little boy playing football, you know, just that's what everyone wants to do. You want to play at the FA Cup final. You want to play at Wembley. Um, and and I always remember, I kind of missed this earlier on, when I had to make the decision of stop playing football at the age of 15, I had a conversation with my dad and dad said to us, you know, everyone wants to go to Wembley. Everyone wants to do the FA Cup final. Do you think you'll get there as a football player or do you think you'll get there as a, as a referee? And, and I said to him, well, as a referee, and he said, well, that's got to be your decision. So, you know, it was always my goal to make sure that that dream came true. Um, and although I'd been to Wembley a few times before that for other other games, to, to be able to do the FA Cup final, to walk out on the biggest stage of my career, of, you know, anyone's career, really, um, yeah, it was just amazing. Um, I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate because this year I also did the League Cup final back in February, oh, which nice. involved the t- same two teams. Two teams. Um, yeah, same two teams, and it went all the way. So it went to extra time penalties again. Oh, 
Yeah, both games, nil nil. It, it was it was crazy. So I've been uh, yeah, I've been very very fortunate this year to certainly do both finals. Um, after doing the the League Cup final, I, I never expected to get the FA Cup final. I didn't think that was a thing that you could kind of get two in one year. So um, so I've been a bit greedy. Uh, I've, I've had them both, uh, and that's me done. But uh, yeah, it was just amazing. It was, it was amazing just to. Um, you know, just experience the whole weekend. It's not just a, the FA Cup final for us. is isn't just about turning up at the day, doing the game um, and going home that night. You know, they kind of make a, a bit of a weekend for it. Um, so we go to like an event the night before uh, where we get to meet um, younger referees or older referees who aspire to be us. And, you know, it, it was great to meet them. Um, we do some presentations for them as well. Um, and then we get again, looked after dinner-wise and our partners get to come as well. So they get to experience the whole weekend with us as well. And then, um, and then yeah, on game day, um, I had my family there as well. So my mum and dad come, uh, my in-laws came, my kids came. Um, so it was just, it's not just about being on that pitch and officiating the game, you know, it's, it, it's for everyone. And yeah, very proud moment again to, to have that as well. And obviously to, you know, the appreciation of being able to celebrate it with, your family and and you know know that all the time and the effort you've been and have your family there to help you would obviously be a, a great thing yeah massively I, you know your family are we spoke about earlier on about having a good boss for work purposes you know you've got to have a good wife as well um you know you need her to let you go out when, when you've got to go and work but um no i mean I, i'm lucky with her because um again she's not a massive football fan um, after time, she doesn't know where I'm going or where I am when I'm in a different country. <laughs> um, but it just works for us. Um, and yeah, she, she's certainly been a rock on my, my shoulder for my career and it's massive help to get me to where I am. So, how, uh, you know, looking back at the FA Cup and you know, obviously we all know how the results went and penalties and being there, did you, I guess, realise how the atmosphere as you're part of the game or you generally get locked in and then once full time's blown and obviously the penalties are all done, then you sort of re- back, look back and reflect on it. Yeah, I, it's, you are just so locked in. As soon as you walk out from that change room onto that pitch, you're just so focused. You just kind of block everything around you, deal with what's in front of you, pray that nothing goes wrong for all of us and we get through <laughs> this game fine. And then, yeah, once that final whistle goes, or in this case, once the penalty was scored and, and that was the winning penalty, it was kind of just take it all in and uh, but but memories that will last forever so yeah really really good and, and obviously you know we've, we've spoken about you know some of the the dreams and stuff so obviously being on the fifa panel now your next goal i guess your next goal now that you've got all of the local goals tucked in is to, <laughs> you know <laughs> for the so you've done so the nation nation's cup is what's that one level below the is that the new european cup how, uh, championships how does that yeah it's what they they've kind of that's kind of the qualification for the euros so before this it used to be a group of six and over a two-year period all the teams would play each other and the top two would then qualify for the euros but what they've done now is they've kind of created um uh, a nation's league where they they've got different groups which will have all the all the nations in it um, but what, what they've instead done, instead of having, say, um, your top teams like England and Germany playing, say, your smaller teams like Liechtenstein or Moldova or something like that, and the scores were sometimes outrageous, they've kind of now put everyone on a level pass. So you kind of have your England-Germany play each other, and then you may have your Liechtenstein against Moldova play each other. So it actually becomes a more competitive game. And some of these teams are winning games that have never they've never won a game before in their lives. 
but they they've now kind of got an even um, competitor. So, and all what happens in this is that they kind of play a little round robin between three or four teams, and then they kind of progress up the groups, um, and then from there, whoever wins the group, kind of there's a pathway <laughs> that leads them into kind of uh, qualification for Euros. So, um, so there's some big teams that will miss out on the Euros because of they're at the top, but they're not winning the games they need to win. So, um, yeah, it's a much more competitive um, league. Um, it's been quite good. It's been in two or three years now. Um, so, yeah, it's really, yeah, really, really good. But how does it work from officials' perspective? Obviously, you referee the, the Nations League and then do they then select the panel from those officials or is it just selected from any, uh, I guess, qualified FIFA level? Yeah, in, in FIFA terms, they, yeah, in FIFA terms, they're kind of um, ranked from being an elite referee, a Cat One, Cat Two, and, and so on. Um, to be able to go to these major tournaments, the the referee has to be uh, an elite referee. Um, and in all honesty, the the only way I can go is be working with a, an elite referee. So yeah. I'm kind of based on a referee that likes me and wants me to come in his team. But also, I need him to be uh, an elite referee. So. It's kind of um, my referee, Chris Kavanagh. He's currently a Cat 1, um, but he, he's on the move of progressing up. Um, we've got two excellent elite referees already, uh, with Michael Oliver and Anthony Taylor, who are both going to the World Cup. Um, both did our Euros as well. So, you know, we've got two very talented, very good referees already there, and, and Chris is trying to work his way up to be in that position. Obviously, age comes apart um, to Anthony where when you get to 45, you will then retire off FIFA. He will still continue as a Premier League referee, but from a FIFA terms, will retire from there. So there'll um, there'll be a spot, hopefully, um, for an, another elite referee. And, and hopefully, in my case, that Chris will be that person. Um, Chris was the referee from our Nations League uh, from the weekend in, in Croatia. So, yeah, he's just um, he's just got to keep doing these games, these big games in Europe, and keep knocking them back and hopefully keep... Um, getting more bigger ones and, and be seen by the, the guys that are going to choose. And then, um, yeah, when those tournaments come around, it's kind of just performing over a, a long period. Um, and, yeah, if you get selected, then uh, that's where we go. And obviously being, you know, working with Chris on a regular basis like you do during the Premier League, you can all work together and help each other, you know, improve and get to that level. Um, yeah. So you're working yeah, as a team. So. Yeah. Um, excellent. Um, you know, I guess one of the things I like to ask is if you've got, you know, advice or, you know, to people that are either looking at getting involved in officiating or have just started out, what sort of advice would you give to to people? Yeah. Do you know, it's, it's, it's a very, it is a common question and it's it's not a cliche, but I just, for me, um, when I was a kid, first starting out, you know, I was just told to just dream big. Um, you know, my dreams were to go on the FIFA list, to do the FA Cup final, do World Cups hopefully one day. Um, and I'm, I'm slowly ticking these off. I've not obviously completed all my goals, but you know I've always dreamed big. I've always made sure that I'm determined to try and get to the top. And, and certainly that's what I'd say to any young referee to say, you know, kind of look at me in, in 15 years' time. You could be doing the same, ticking these boxes off. Um, I was always told, uh, you know, just do the basics. Um, we can all do the basics. And as long as we do them well, kind of everything else falls in place. Um, so, yeah, th- those are kind of the two things that I'd always say is just dream big because anything's possible and just s- stick to the basics and, you know, everything else will fall fall together. 
and you know, looking at looking at your career and reflecting on it, you can certainly see that you know that's how you've been able to get to where you've got to. You know, being able to, as you say, tick off your goals helps you drive towards the next level. Yeah, exactly that, and it's. Yeah, 100%. You know, I've, I've achieved the next goal. Okay, what's the next one I want to achieve? I want to get to the Euros or I want to get to the World Cup. So it's kind of right. Be determined to do that and just keep doing keep doing those basics and just keep working hard. Excellent. Um, you know, is there anything else you'd like to, any other sort of advice you'd provo- like to provide? Um, you know, I've sort of pretty much covered up on all the stuff that I've, all the questions I've got. You know, I've been just fascinated to listen to your journey. So, um, yeah, thanks. No, I just, you know, I just think for anyone who wants to um, to give this a go, it's it's certainly worth giving it a go. It is a battle. Um, it's certainly, it's bizarre. It's, it's, it's a battle when you kind of start younger because, you know, you've got the kids' football that you think is the easiest football to referee, and it, and it is in, in some ways, but then you've got the, the parents on the touchline that, you know, don't want their, their little Johnny getting kicked here and you're not doing anything about it or whatever. Um, so you get those intimidating parents. You kind of got to just see past them, um, but work hard. And as I said, if you just kind of look past that, dream big, know what you want to do, want to want to achieve, um, then yeah, you know, I think just giving it a go is is the best thing to do. Um, but yeah, it's we certainly need more referees. There's certainly not enough out there. So um, yeah, we certainly need more to give it a go. And uh, you know, I'd imagine like everywhere else worldwide at the moment, the shortage of officials in, you know, in England is probably the same as everywhere else, where there's just a, you know, a huge number that we need to encourage to pick up the, yeah, the, you know, the whistle. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a massive shortage, and as you said, across all sports, across all different countries, there's just a massive shortage. So it's just yeah, worth just giving it a go. So yeah, I want to say, um, you know. Thanks for your time, Dan. Good luck with the rest of the career and getting ready for your for your preseason. So, no, thank you, and uh, thanks for having us. It's been uh, it's been great. Dan's experienced plenty of adversary during his career, but by knowing what he wants to achieve, he's been able to stay focused and keep working on his game, which has enabled him to achieve some pretty incredible things already during his career. Dan's journey is inspiring and really encourages us all to keep working through the challenging times we have, because it's through those situations that we continue to grow and improve as an official. If you're interested in staying your own journey, check out the directory on our website at sportscollaboration.com, where you'll be able to find contact details for the officiating associations near you. If you're an official who's looking for some additional support throughout your journey, drop us an email by the feedback section on our website and we'll be more than happy to reach out and see how we might be able to help. I'll leave you with this final words from Dan about how he dealt with disappointment throughout his career. Just keep your nose clean, do what you've been doing year in, year out, um, and hopefully we'll see you in 12 months. And, and, that, and that was the case. Yeah.